Welcome into Locked On Blackhawks. Today is Wednesday, August 12, 2020. I am your host, Jack Bushman, tuning in for the 189th episode of Locked On Blackhawks. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast for free wherever you may listen to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. You'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day, so please be sure to go do that. Also, please go follow our Twitter page, which can be found at capital L, capital O, underscore Blackhawks, with some really good stuff being posted there every day. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, to kick off the show today, we got to talk about all the news surrounding the Blackhawks' disappointing Game to game 1, 4-1 to one loss to the hands of the Vegas Golden Knights. And it wasn't disappointing in the way you might think. Yes, the Hawks were outplayed last night and the better team did win the game. But I wouldn't consider it an ugly loss or anything like that by any means. And for a couple of different reasons. The first being that Corey Crawford just was not on his A-game last night. He faced 33 shots, which isn't a lot by the Blackhawks' standards against a very good offensive team in Vegas. And, but two of the goals that he allowed were complete softies. Shea Theodore's goal to open the scoring, a wrist shot from the right circle, a real softie that cannot go in, especially in a tie game to open the scoring. There was a bit of a screen in front by Adam Boquist, but he cleared in time for Crow to see that puck, and somehow it just managed to beat his glove. And then also, Riley Smith's goal in the third period, that just cannot happen with the game on the line in the final 20 minutes. Who knows, maybe we get a bounce with some traffic in front of the net like we did against Edmonton a couple times there, but we weren't even really given that opportunity because once we were down two goals in the third period, we kind of knew that we weren't going to come back against Vegas. They went in full shutdown mode. They had all five guys playing back in the neutral zone and at the blue line, so Corey Crawford, he needs to be better in net for the Hawks going forward. I talked about it a lot in the last couple of days. In order for the Blackhawks to have a shot in the series, he's going to have to be stellar and probably steal a couple for the boys with his play in net. And in Game 1, he didn't do that. He was disappointing because if those two goals, if they don't go in, who knows how this thing plays out. I mean, yeah, Vegas, they, they were the better team, don't get me wrong, but in postseason games, the best team doesn't always win every game. And it was just disappointing to me to see that Crawford didn't even allow the boys to try and get back into this game because of that weak goal early on in the third period to Riley Smith. I'm also disappointed because, once again, it just seems like the Hawks can't get a bounce when it matters the most. They hit three goalposts again last night, one coming from Jonathan Taze from in tight off the crossbar. I have no idea how he didn't finish that one. And then Dylan Strom hit the post on a one-timer when Robin Leonard lost a blade there. And Kirby, Dro- Kirby Doc also drew iron early on in the contest as well. So not only was Crawford not the sharpest last night in net, and he allowed a couple of soft goals that could have changed the tide of the game if they were stopped, but the Hawks also came just inches away from finding the back of the net on three separate occasions last night. So while Game 1... On paper, it looks like a lopsided victory, and yeah, it kind of was a little bit 4-1, to one. but things could have gone much different if the Hawks came out and played their best, and also just got a couple of the lucky bounces that they got in the qualifying round against the Edmonton Oilers. But that's the way hockey goes, though. Sometimes you get them, and sometimes you don't. But in total last night, 
the Hawks wound up with just 20 shots on Robin Leonard, who he did start in that for game one for Vegas. Uh, and as well, we know he was traded for a second round pick prospect Slava Denim and Malcolm Subban back in late February at the trade deadline when the Hawks were all but out of the playoff race. Then coronavirus happens, which no one saw coming in the matter that it did. And here we are, the Blackhawks are in the first round against Vegas, and of course, Robin Leonard is in that. He made a couple of big saves when he needed to last night, but overall, we got the puck behind him four times. Only one of those went in, and that was David Camp's shorthanded bid to make it a 2-1 game there in the second period. But I thought at times we did a good job of putting some pucks on net with bodies in front, and we also made some good plays in transition in the first 40 minutes to create some opportunities. That sort of faded away when Vegas went in that full-out defense mode after grabbing a multi-goal lead, but I thought our play off the rush was pretty solid when the game was still on the line. Overall, though, 20 shots on goal, which tied a season low, by the way, for the Hawks. That's not going to be good enough to beat the top-seeded Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, come on, boys. That, that's not going to do it. Uh, an interesting stat here from the box score that I wanted to mention Alex DeBrinkett, Patrick Kane, Brandon Saad, Dylan Strome, and Jonathan Taze. Those five guys put up just three shots on goal combined. The Hawks are literally never going to win when those guys are doing that. So, not a good enough effort by the big-name guys on the Chicago Blackhawks last night. And the only player to record more than two shots on goal was Dominic Kubalik, unsurprisingly, who put five on Robin Leonard, so... He had more shots than all five of those players that I just listed, and he was also good for one-fourth of the team's shots on goal for the game. So, besides Kubalik, not much going on for the Blackhawks offensively in Game 1, and that's going to have to change going forward. Alright, coming up in just a moment, I am going to continue to talk about the Blackhawks' Game 1 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights and some of the box score and possession numbers from the contest. But first, I need to talk about rockauto.com, the best place to shop for all your auto and body needs. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and make sure to let them know the Lockdown Podcast Network sent you. That's rockauto.com for an amazing selection and reliably low prices. Listen, we've all had our share of car problems in the past. How much easier is it when you have an auto and body shop that you can rely on? Well, rockauto.com has your back for all the car parts you will ever need in any situation. One more time, check out rockauto.com for reliably low prices and an amazing selection, and make sure to let them know the Lockdown Podcast Network sent you. rockauto.com, an auto and body shop that you can trust for reliably low prices. Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for listening today. I am your host, Jack Bushman. Be sure to check out my personal Twitter page at JackBushman2 and my Blackhawks Twitter page at TalkinHockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. Also, be sure to subscribe and follow Lockdown Blackhawks for free wherever you may listen to your podcast and also on Twitter to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. 
So we just finished recapping Game 1 of the Western Conference quarterfinals between the Chicago Blackhawks and Vegas Golden Knights. Now taking a look at the box score here, and it wasn't very pretty from a Hawks fan's point of view as they were outshot 34-20 to in the contest, and they were also outhit 35-20 to as Ryan Reeves and that humongous fourth line with Nicholas Watt and William Carrier certainly played a factor in that total. They were also able to cash in for the game-winning goal in the contest as well. Um, but one area where the Hawks did come out pretty good was in the face-off department. Uh, as a team, they won 55% of the draws last night, and the big-name guys showed up in this area at least. Jonathan Taze led the way by winning 13 of his 20 face-offs on the night, so he was 65%. Uh, the one player he did struggle against, though, was Paul Stasny, who's another top-20 face-off guy in the NHL. I mentioned that on yesterday's episode. He was the only guy that Taze had a problem with as Taze was just one for four against the former St. Louis Blue. Dylan Strom, he only took seven faceoffs in the game, but he won five of them for 71%. And then David Camp did his part on the fourth line by winning 10 of his 17 faceoffs. So good overall numbers here from the Blackhawks centers. And hopefully that can continue as the series goes on because even though the Hawks won 55% of the faceoffs as a team, it still felt like Vegas was in control and had the puck for the majority of the contest. One other area where the Hawks were solid was on the special teams game, uh, as they were 2-for-2 two two on the penalty kill, and they came up big when they needed to with the game on the line. And while the power play wasn't able to convert against one of the league's worst PKs, they were able to generate some pressure, and I thought they cycled the puck well. Kane came close, and he hit the outside of the post on one of the power plays. So they were making some noise finally, and... Getting some good movement. They'll need more of that throughout this series because Vegas was really good at even strength on Tuesday. And speaking of even strength, taking a look now at how the Blackhawks forwards fared last night. In the top line of Kubelik, Taze, and Saad, I thought they were one of our better forward lines at 5-on-5. Five five. They generated a couple of solid scoring chances in the offensive zone together, but unfortunately they came up empty. Uh, they were on the ice for 10 shot attempts, 4-10 to 10 against though, so... In a road game where Colleton and the Hawks don't get the matchup advantage, I thought those were some pretty solid uh, solid numbers from the Taze line. But overall, we're still going to need them to do more offensively. It's going to be hard to win any game in the series with those guys being held off the score sheet. And the same can kind of be said with Patrick Kane in the second line of him, Alex DeBrinkett, and Kirby Doc. Doc, by the way, quickly want to mention that he once again led all Hawks forwards with 21 minutes and 30 seconds of time on ice, which was second to only Duncan Keith. But that second line, possession-wise, was horrible on Tuesday night. They were on the ice for seven shot attempts for to a whopping 17 against at even strength. Truly horrible numbers. Uh, and they were unable to get anything past Leonard on offense as well. They were uh, on the ice for Riley Smith's second goal to make it 4-1. to one. So they were a minus in that department as well. Kaner... I know you're trying, and I know that Leonard likely told Vegas that if they stop him, they'll probably win this series, but he still needs to be doing more for this Blackhawks offense. Just one goal so far in five games now. He didn't do much in game one, and that cannot be the case for the Blackhawks going forward, or else this series is going to be over in a hurry. 
The third line of Alex Nylander, Dylan Strome, and Drake Kajula, ugh, they continue to be a mystery as they only saw eight minutes of ice time together at even strength last night, less than the fourth line, which should tell you something. And they were only on the ice for four shot attempts, four in those eight minutes. Strome and Kajula finished without any shots on goal, so... Another pretty poor outing from that line. I did think that Nylander had one of his better games. He finished with two shots on goal and also drew a penalty late in the game, so he was better. But Dylan Strom, where are you at, my man? This is not what you want to be doing in a contract year. Is He still does not have a point in the postseason since banking the puck in the net for a goal in Game 1 versus Edmonton. The fourth line of Ryan Carpenter, David Kampf, and Matthew Highmore, they continued to just do their job and work hard in the offensive zone. They were also rewarded for their solid play on the penalty kill with Kampf scoring a shorthanded goal, and he also won 58% of his faceoffs, so I was really happy with what I saw from Kampf in the fourth line on Tuesday against Vegas. They were also on the ice for eight shot attempts, four to 11 against, so not a bad outing against one of the NHL's elite offensive units. Alright, coming up in just a moment, I am going to now take a look at the Blackhawks' defensive pairings and some of their numbers from Game 1, and I'll also take a look at the Vegas Golden Knights lineup and what the Hawks will need to improve on against some of their players in Game 2. This is the Locked on Blackhawks podcast. I am your host, Jack Bushman. You can reach me on Twitter at JackBushman2 or at TalkinHockey, or you can always email the Locked on Blackhawks email, which is LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com for any questions you have about the show, myself, or anything that has to do with the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Alright, so we just finished taking a look at the Blackhawks forwards from Game 1. Now, looking at their defensive pairings, starting with the top pairing of Duncan Keith and Adam Boquist. And oof, did they have a tough go of it on Tuesday, as they were on the ice for 14 minutes and 4 seconds together at even strength. And they allowed 2 goals against, 8 shots against, and 5 scoring chances against, while being on the ice for just 2 shot attempts for... So, not nearly a good enough effort both on defense and on offense for those two. They were on for both of Vegas' first two goals, and Keith was actually on the ice for all four of the Golden Knights goals. He was a minus four in just over 23 minutes of ice time. So, not anything close to what we saw from Keith in games three and four against the Edmonton Oilers. He's going to have to step up his game going forward and get back to that warrior mentality that he had going on. And no one dunks, that's that's exactly what he'll do. As for Adam Boquist, I didn't think that he played a horrible game. He was caught a bit out of position uh, on William Carrier's game-winning goal, but I thought he moved the puck decently well, but he just saw some tough minutes against Vegas' best offensive players, and at such a young age, he's still only 19. It's going to be hard for him to handle those minutes, so I'm not surprised with what I'm seeing from Boquist. Hopefully, his partner alongside him will pick up his play and just make things easier for the both of them going forward in the future. 
The second defensive pairing of Kelvin DeHaan and Connor Murphy, they were on the ice for 14 minutes and 39 seconds at 5-on-5 yesterday, and I thought they did a pretty solid job. This was one of their best Corsi outings of the postseason, being on the ice for 6 shots, 4 to just 7 against. Good numbers there from guys who play in defensive situations a majority of the time. And they were also on the ice for 6 scoring chances, 4 to 3 against. So... Anytime those guys are in the positive in that department, then you know they're doing their jobs well. Oli Mata and Slater Cuckoo actually saw the most even strength ice time of all three pairings on Tuesday night as they had over 15 minutes together. And in those 15 minutes, they had five shots, four to seven against. And they also found themselves on the positive end of the scoring chances with six, four to four against. So that combo continues to be good. Olimata was actually a plus one in this game. He and Dahan were <clears throat> the only players to come out on the positive plus minus wise for the Blackhawks. So that third pairing, much like the fourth line, continues to do their jobs and then some, and that will be a huge key for the Hawks getting back into the series. Taking a look now at the Vegas Golden Knights on Tuesday, and the lines that really killed the Hawks were their second and fourth lines. Riley Smith had two goals, of course, and that trio of he, Jonathan Marcheseau, and Paul Stasny were a combined uh, plus seven with five points together, and Stasny also won 57% of his face-offs, so the Hawks will have to key in on that line a little better going forward. I know it's going to be tough without the matchup advantage in Game 2, but they cannot cannot let Smith and Marcheseau make plays both in the offensive zone and in transition. Those two have just so much chemistry. They've been playing together for years now, going back to their days with the Florida Panthers. So the Hawks are likely going to need Duncan Keith to step up and play the majority of those minutes against those guys. And then the fourth line, they were also dominant for Vegas whenever they were on the ice. And boy, do they have some size. Ryan Reeves, he's six foot two, two twenty five. Nicholas Waugh is six foot four, and then William Carrier six foot two as well. So those are some big boys, and they came up big with the game winner in game one. The Blackhawks bottom six will likely see the majority of the minutes against those guys going forward, so the fourth line will have to lock those guys down, but Vegas head coach Peter DeBoer, he's not afraid to put that line out there in any situation. They actually got the start last night against the Jonathan Taze line, so all four forward lines for the Blackhawks will have to be ready for that fourth line of the Golden Knights because... Not only can they play a very physical game in the neutral zone and in the defensive zone, but they can also put the back the puck in the back of the net as well. Overall, I thought the Hawks did a really good job against Pacioretty, Carlson, and Mark Stone as they were not able to find the back of the net and anytime the Hawks can stop that from happening, that's a win in their book. So they will have to need, uh, they will need to do more of the same against that tremendously talented top line for Vegas while also keying in on the second and fourth lines more than they did on Tuesday. Alright, so I think that is going to wrap up Wednesday, August 12th episode of Locked On Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show and be sure to subscribe and follow the Locked On Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app and you'll get the latest episode as soon as it comes out every day. And... After the show, ask your smart device to play the Lockdown NHL podcast for all the latest news from all 16 teams in the first round of the 2020 postseason. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode. I am your host, Jack Bushman. 
You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at JackBushman2, or my Blackhawks account, at TalkinHockey. For any questions at all regarding anything related to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, you can always email the Lockdown Blackhawks email, which is LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com, or call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, I hope you all have a good rest of your day, and thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. Your team every day.